Romans chapter 8, our text is verses 5, 6, and 7 this morning, and I will read that to us, beginning in verse 5. Paul writes, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, they set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask Him to work in our hearts during this time. Our Father, we have read Your Word, and now we will seek to understand better what Your Word says and what it means for our lives. Father, we believe that You have spoken, and because You have spoken, we must listen. And when we listen, You can do a work in our hearts that we cannot bring about on our own. Your Spirit could come and transform someone who's been hardened by bitterness and guilt and lust and all sorts of sin habits. You could bring those of us who already believe in Jesus Christ to greater conformity to Him. And I pray that You do the work that You promised to do through Your Holy Spirit in our hearts. We need You. We depend on You. And we believe that You will do it for Your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder how many of you have heard statements like this. Attitude is everything. You've heard that? Attitude is everything. Uh, you, what you believe, what you think determines really how you live your life. It reminds me of the story, little children's story, about the little engine who could. You remember that story? This uh, little train engine needed to get across the mountain to the other side to deliver a bunch of toys to some kids. And he's, the mountain is steep, and the load is heavy, and the engine is little. And the whole way, what is the little engine saying? I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, all the way to the top because it's trying to get into the mindset, I could do this, I could do this. You might hear this if you go to the gym and you go to the weight room and there's a guy and he's, he's laying with his back on the bench and, and there's like 300 pounds uh, on, the, on the bar that he's holding and, and there's a guy in, uh, hanging over him to spot him and, and what is the guy saying? He's saying, you can do this, right? You can do this. Don't think that you're a failure. And, and, and really, if he has the strength to do it and if he says, I can do this, he's getting to the right mindset, then he probably will be able to do it. But, but even if he has the strength to do it and, and he starts thinking, oh man, I can't do this. I just ate a bunch of pizza last night. I'm not feeling so great. I just, I just can't do this. You know, what's going to happen? He's probably not going to be able to do it. It's, it's true that our mindset shapes so much about what we do. But I think on a deeper level, it's not just that we are what we think, but we think the way we think because of the way we are, because of who we are. It's like what Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He says, when I was a child, I, I spoke like a child and I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Like we, we think the way we do because of the way we are, because of our, of our nature. Our, our thoughts spring into our minds and grow from our nature just as apples grow in an apple tree and oranges on an orange tree. We think the way we do because we are the way we are. 
Now, don't ask me how the little twin engine was able to think, I think I can, I think I can, okay? That will mess up with my analogy, right? But we are, this is, this is who we are, so this is the way that we think. And we see a similar thing going on in our text this morning. So look at the verse 5. It says, those who live, the word literally is those who are according to the flesh, think a certain way. Why? Because of who they are. But those who live, that is, are according to the Spirit, now they think a certain way. You see what's going on here? It's that the way that we are thinking springs from our, our nature, who we are. Now, this means that it is incredibly important to understand who you are so that you could understand how you should think. And you consider but the many decisions that you have to make that require thought, that require a mindset, maybe some decisions that are on your mind right now, like how am I going to answer to the email that's waiting in my inbox right now? How am I going to decide how to, how to spend this money? How am I going to respond to a, an unexpected bill that just came in the mail? Should I apply for a new job? Should I retire from this job? Should I pursue this relationship? Should I talk to my spouse about this issue? All these decisions that are swirling in our minds and in your minds this morning require a certain pattern of thinking, and the pattern of thinking is going to spring from who you are, from your nature. Not just decisions you need to make, but responses to things that happen to you. Your car breaks down. How you respond is going to depend on your thinking. An unexpected, an unexpected bill comes in the mail. A parent gets a bad diagnosis. A child turns his back on your family. How will you respond? Again, it depends on your mindset. It depends on your thinking. And your thinking depends on what? depends on who you are. In our passage this morning, Paul contrasts two kinds of people. You see it there in the text. Those who live according to what? According to the flesh? Contrast with those who live according to what? The Spirit. So the flesh and the Spirit, who they are and how they think. That's how we'll structure our message this morning. There's two basic parts to help us understand this passage, flesh and the Spirit, who they are and how they think. First of all, let's talk about who they are, people in the flesh and people in the Spirit. First of all, it's, under, it's important to understand that we're talking about different natures, what your nature is, whether it's in the flesh or in the Spirit. Let me say this, everyone in this room this morning is either in the flesh or in the Spirit. You are one or the other. There is no middle ground. There is no fence to straddle. There is no overlap whatsoever. You're either in the flesh this morning or in the Spirit. And it describes your nature. Okay, just as it is the nature of a squirrel to squirrel away nuts for the winter. It springs from its nature, just as the nature of a lion to stalk its prey. It's the nature of the lion to do that. So it is the nature of someone who's in the flesh to do certain things, to think a certain way. So it is the nature of someone in the spirit to do certain things, to think a certain way. Now, the question that we need to consider is, why is it that Paul uses these words according to the flesh and according to the Spirit to describe these two natures. I want to start with what it means to live according to the flesh, to live in the flesh. First of all, to be in the flesh does not necessarily mean a person who's obsessed with 
sensual desires. And the word flesh, it may evoke in your minds like sensuality, the, thing, the, the lusts of the body. But that is, it may include that, but that is not the primary meaning of this. To help us understand what flesh means and what it means to be in the flesh, I'm going to ask that you turn back to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2 will help us understand more fully what Paul is talking about in Romans 8 when he speaks of these people who are in the flesh. So you're in Romans 8 right now. Flip forward to Ephesians chapter 2. The same word occurs in this passage when Paul is describing people before they believed in Jesus Christ. He's writing a letter to believers, and he's telling them, this is who you were. This is the way that you lived. This was your nature before you were transformed by faith in Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, he writes this, "...and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air." the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our, here's the word, flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, not only the body, but of the mind, and were, here it is, by nature, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So flesh here describes life without reference to God. It's not necessarily the gutter. It's not necessarily bodily desires. It could be a way of thinking. But here is the common denominator of people who are in the flesh. They are bound by temporal existence, existence, and their thinking and their mindset is cut off from the life of God. That describes people who are in the flesh. Someone who is in the flesh could actually live a very moral life could actually live a very successful life, could actually be very wise in the way they handle their money, very wise in the way they conduct their marriage, very prudent from, a, from an earthly perspective on how they do their parenting, but all of it is bound by this world. It's all without reference to God and eternal things. That's what it means to live in the flesh. It is, as you see on the screen, people whose nature is bounded by this temporary existence and separated from God, from the life of God. We see this also in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. You don't need to turn there. I'll read these verses to you. John writes, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Why? Because all that is in the world, everything that you can see, everything that you can feel, smell, taste, touch, everything around you is passing away. Nothing that you see with your eyes right now is going to last. It's all going away. And what it means to live in the flesh is to craft your values, your priorities, your way of thinking, everything about you, to set your affections on things that don't last. And that is true of everyone who does not have the life of God within them. That within our hearts, within the hearts of people in the flesh, is just a craving to be satisfied by things they can see taste, touch, handle, feel. It's bounded by this temporary existence. It's life without reference to God. That's what it means to live in the flesh. And that's contrasted with those who are according to the Spirit, those who are in the Spirit. You look at this, you could go back to Romans chapter 8. 
Again, what Paul is doing, he set up this great contrast between those who are in the flesh and those who are in the Spirit. And, and what I want you to be considering this morning is, is, which group am I in? I said there's no middle ground, there's no fence to straddle, there's no overlapping. Are you in the flesh right now? Is your whole identity, is your whole nature bound up by this physical existence without reference to God? Or are you, as Paul says, in the Spirit or one who lives according to the Spirit? One reason why we know that there is no middle ground is because in verse 9, Paul says, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him, right? There is, it's either one or the other. I think it's important for us to understand a little bit about what it means to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And I just want to make, under this, I just want to make three points before I actually tell you what it means to live in the Spirit about what it means to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of confusion about this. First thing to understand is this. Every believer in Christ is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Every believer in Christ is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You're a believer in Christ. You put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. You have God's Holy Spirit living within you. This is what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Right now, if you're a Christian, your body is a dwelling place of God's Holy Spirit. That is a truth about all believers in Christ. And when did this happen? When did you get the Holy Spirit? I say get in quotations. When did you get the Holy Spirit? You did not receive the Holy Spirit at a point following your salvation, when, when suddenly you had some dramatic, ecstatic experience, that is not what the Scripture speaks about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. When does the Spirit come to the life of a believer? Not when they make some dramatic decision after conversion. Not when they do something radical or, or unusual or unnatural. It's, it, here's what it happens. It happens at the moment of conversion. It happens when you get saved. This is what Paul is saying in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13. In Him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in Him, when you believed in Christ at that moment, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. That's when it happened. And if you're a believer in Christ this morning, you have the Holy Spirit within you, and you receive the Holy Spirit at the very moment of your salvation. There's a second point to make about a believer's relationship with the Holy Spirit. It is impossible, then, to get more of the Spirit because we are assured that we have the Holy Spirit living within us. Now, it is true that it's possible to grieve the Holy Spirit. This is what Paul is speaking of in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. It's even possible, as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, to quench the Spirit in your life, to, to try to restrain His influence. And this is something that even believers can do because of our sin and a pattern of thinking that is sinful. But we cannot get any less or more of the Spirit. And furthermore, we are, full, we are commanded to be filled with the Spirit, which merely means this. It means to submit to the control of the Spirit. I mean, the Spirit is in us, but when we're commanded to be filled with the Spirit, it doesn't mean that we can get more of the Spirit. It means we're letting, more of the, we're letting the Spirit control us more. That's what the meaning of that is. And then what is the evidence of that? And here's a third point we need to make about a believer's relationship with the Spirit. The evidence of the Spirit's dwelling in a believer's life like I said earlier, is not some ecstatic utterances. 
Not some crazy experience, but it is obedience to God. That is the evidence of a Spirit-filled life. It is godly obedience. That's why Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, the fruit that is the evidence of the Spirit in your life is going to include things like love and joy and peace. That is the evidence of the Spirit. Another evidence of the Spirit is what Paul is talking about in Ephesians chapter 4 when he says to be filled with the Spirit. And what's going to happen in a worship service like this, in which people who are filled with the Spirit are are responding? It's going to sound like psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. When when a Spirit-filled group of people gets together, there is singing and there is exhorting and there is joy. That's what it looks like. That's the evidence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Holy Spirit, we can think of it this way, is it's a promise, it's God's promise of eternal life that we have now. It's kind of like the shafts of of the sun coming in from a, a distant time piercing right through the veil of our darkness, shining right into our hearts, in which we could say, I know there's a time coming when I will have perfect redemption, when I will see God face to face. Right now, believer, that that shaft of sunlight is beaming right into your heart. You have the Holy Spirit of God within you. It is the guarantee of your future inheritance. And what an inheritance that will be. Every believer has that. That's what it means to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And yet there is this contrast. There's this contrast between the flesh and the Spirit that Paul is making here in in Romans chapter 8. He's contrasting those who live according to the flesh, whose existence is, remember, bounded by this, this temporal world, and contrasting those who live according to the Spirit, whose existence and lifestyle is unbounded by this temporal fleeting world. The one who lives in the flesh is bounded by the things he can see, hear, feel, and touch, bounded away from God. The person who's in the Spirit, their life is, is open, is freed, as Paul says earlier in this passage. We are free from the law of sin and death. The person who's in the flesh is underneath the law of sin and death. The person who is in the Spirit is freed from all that. Perspective is completely different. Who is bound instead of by death and sin looks toward eternal life. Now, it may be hard for us to get our minds around this because we tend to think of spirit as being kind of wispy and ghosty and foggy and misty, right? And we tend to think of flesh like solid. But, but if you think about it, it is the things of the flesh that are wispy and foggy and ghosty and fleeting because it's all going away. It's the things that, of the Spirit that are, are more solid than anything you've ever seen. This is why when, when angels appear to human beings throughout Scripture, they don't appear as wispy kind of ghosts. Like, where are you, Gabriel? I can hardly see you. You're just kind of fading in and out. No, how did angels appear? Boom! shining light so dramatic they just knock humans to the ground. Why? Because they're more solid than anything that exists on this earth. They're more solid than anything you've ever seen. That's why when, when Jesus was transfigured on the, uh, uh, was changed on the Mount of Transfiguration, he, His face shone brighter than the sun. There was a kind of light that outstrips the light of this physical world, the brightest thing that you could imagine, the, the sun. The, the things of the Spirit outshine that. 
No, no, it's, it's we in the flesh who linger in this wispy, shadowy realm. It's the things of the Spirit that are solid and eternal. And that's why the writer of the Hebrews says that when everything in this world is finally shaken, right down to the subatomic level, there will some, remain something that cannot be shaken. And that is the kingdom of God. That is the things of the Spirit. Now, here's the definition of those who are in the Spirit. People who have the life of God within them so that they are guaranteed eternal life. Romans 8, Paul is contrasting those who live according to the flesh with those who live according to the Spirit. And what is the main thing that he wants to point out? Just look at it in your Bible. And ask yourself the question, look at those verses beginning verse 5, what is the massive difference that we need to know about the, between the people that live in the flesh and the people that live in the Spirit. What is the main difference that Paul wants us to understand? It's a difference in thinking. You see it? Those who live according to the flesh do what? They set their minds on the things of the flesh, and those who live according to the Spirit, what are they doing? What distinguishes them from the people who live in the flesh? They set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Here is the massive difference that distinguishes people who live in the flesh from people who live in the Spirit. It's the way we think. It's our mindset. Remember we said earlier the importance of mindset? I think I can. I think I can. Come on, you could do it. Right? The mind, it's in the mind. But simply because it's in the mind doesn't mean it's important or doesn't mean it's intangible. I want you to think about how important our thoughts are, how important our mindset is, how important our worldview is, how important the way is the way we think. In October of 1836, a ship docked in a British port, and off that ship was a 26-year-old scientist And he had been, quote, filled with awe about the unique geology, flora, and fauna of the Galapagos, whose wonders included ground finches and mockingbirds, seaweed-eating iguanas, and giant tortoises. And now armed, this this young scientist armed with thousands of specimens and reams of notes, begins to formulate the mindset, the ideas, that would turn into one of the world's most famous books on the origin of species by means of natural selection. Charles Darwin's theory of evolution has captured the mindset of so many people and impacts not only how they theorize about origins, but how they think about the value of life, human life itself. Is mindset important? It's the difference between life and death. After September 11, 2001, when the planes crashed into the World Trade Center and into the Pentagon, people started talking about more than just a clash of armies. They started talking about a clash of worldviews, mindsets. Is mindset important? It's the difference between life and death. 
And it's not just on things on such a dramatic scale. It's not just things like theories of origins. It's not just things like religious radicalism. It comes down to the nitty-gritties of the way that you make decisions every single day, whether you will make decisions according to the flesh or according to the Spirit, because these are, this is the great contrast that's being seen here in this passage. Those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. They have a, a Spirit-oriented mindset. Those who live in the flesh, they don't have a Spirit-oriented mindset. Their mindset is bounded by the things of this world. And there are three ways in which these different people differ in their thinking. Flesh and spirit. We talked about how, who they are, and now we're going to talk about how they think. Their mindset differs in three ways. The first way we see in verse 5. Their mindset differs in, their, in its focus. What does it mean to think about things of the flesh? Again, it does not mean to merely think about things of the flesh are not just immorality and drunkenness and overeating. Things of the flesh are just things that are bounded. It's life apart from God. So people are in the flesh. They simply make their priorities and values without reference to God. You know how disciplined and appealing and popular that kind of mindset can be? How much success you can, you can have and, and, and dazzling popularity you can have in, in this world if you just make your focus the things of the flesh without reference to God? Just having a mindset toward things that does not include God and eternity. A few illustrations of this. 2 Corinthians 5.16, Paul says this, We used to regard people according to the flesh, but we don't do that anymore. Here's what Paul meant. He meant this, before I was saved, before I trusted Christ, when I would look at different people, I would evaluate them with standards bounded by this world. How much money does he make? How popular is he? How many connections does she have? How much clout do they have? How beautiful are they? How chiseled are they? What's their status in the world? What kind of privilege do they have? That is thinking, that's evaluating people according to the flesh. Paul says, we don't do that anymore. We used to even evaluate Jesus that way. A peasant, a carpenter from, from Nazareth, crucified as a criminal, thinking according to the flesh. Now, after Paul trusted Christ, his mindset changed. How did it change? I'll tell you an example of how it changed. In Acts chapter 17, Paul is making a journey into Athens. And when he sets foot into Athens, he sets foot into a place that could have impressed him in many ways. After all, Athens was the cradle of Western philosophy. Athens could boast such thinkers as Socrates and Plato and Aristotle. Uh, Athens, furthermore, if you approach Athens, he could have seen uh, the Parthenon, this massive temple to the Greek goddess Athena, boasting 69 beautiful columns and all sorts of religious pageantry that went, went on all the time. I mean, it was an impressive structure. And, and he could have seen other temples, the, temples to, the temple to Zeus, the temple to the goddess Nike, and all these other things that could have impressed him so much according to the flesh. But what instead did Paul see? Because he had a mindset unbound by the flesh 
He had his mind set on the things of the Spirit. What does the Bible say that he saw instead? Instead of being oppressed by the religious pageantry and the philosophical profundity of the city, he saw that the city was full of idols, and the Bible tells us that his soul was grieved. Why? Because he saw not the impressive structures. He saw the souls of men and women. He saw eternity. He saw people dying without a Savior, and he was grieved and moved within him, and he wanted to preach the gospel to them. Why? Because he wasn't evaluating everything on a flesh level. He wasn't evaluating everything on a level that was bound by temporal things. His perspective was unbound. He was setting his mind on the things of the Spirit. Here's the great difference in the mindset between those in the flesh and those in the Spirit. Those who are in the flesh make a habit a pattern of thinking about things that won't last. And their priorities and values and hopes and dreams and fears are all fueled by what is temporary. By contrast, those who are in the Spirit are unbound by this perspective and mindset. They fix their minds on things that are in the Spirit, animated by, motivated by, fueled by things of eternity. They differ in their focus. They also differ in the outcome. What is the outcome? Look at verse 6. Verse 5 says that those who are in the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. They focus on the things of the Spirit. Those who are in the flesh, they focus on things of the flesh. What's the outcome of this? For to set the mind on the flesh, what's the outcome of a fleshly mindset? You see it there? What is it? It's death. What's the outcome of a mind that focuses on the things of the Spirit? What is it? It's life and peace. What a dramatic difference in outcome. You look at people around you and and you look at people that you work with and and if they're in the flesh, they, they may look very similar to you in many respects. But you evaluate them from eternity and the difference is the greatest difference in all the world. The reason why the person who has their mindset on the flesh results in death is because they're cut off from the life of God. All the things that they've made, the focus of their priorities and values, that they won't last. But the thing, the person, by contrast, who focuses his mind on the things of the Spirit that results in life and peace. Why? As we have seen earlier in the book of Romans, because those who have faith in Jesus Christ are at peace with God. Those who do not have faith in Jesus Christ are still conflicted by being enemies with God. To have the mindset on the the flesh results in death. It's kind of like that parable that Jesus tells about a rich man who had many crops and he was doing really, really well. And and the rich man finally says this, hey, I've I've stored up a lot of things. I'm going to tear down my old barns, my small ones. I'm going to build bigger barns and I'm going to fill them with, with stuff and with my crops and then I'm just going to take it easy because I have it all made. And all these things were things of the flesh. And God speaks to him and says, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you because you had no concern about the things of the Spirit, only the things of the flesh. I mean, that rich man might have appeared to any one of us as a very moral and upstanding man. A man who was able to deal prudently with his finances and with the way he led his family, but ultimately he failed. Why? Because he was all consumed with things of the flesh, not the things of the Spirit. The outcome for the person who sets their mind on the things of the flesh 
is death. In contrast, the person who sets their mind on the things of the Spirit, the outcome for them is life and peace. The person who has their mind set on the flesh is conflicted. It's the conflict of a soul trying to fill itself by pouring in money and relationships and prestige and career and everything else temporal that we try to stuff into our hearts hoping that it's going to fill us and nothing else will satisfy you. Do you feel that way this morning? Do you feel like a conflicted soul trying to fill yourself with everything else? There's only one thing that will satisfy you and that is eternal and perfect and that is God Himself. As someone has put it, there is a God-shaped hole in our hearts and the person who tries to fill it with anything else will be ever conflicted into all eternity unless he or she puts their trust in Jesus Christ. As one person put it, you stir man to take pleasure in praising you because you have made us for yourself and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Paul writes in Romans 5.10, once we were enemies and now we are reconciled to God by the death of his son. So the mindset of those in the flesh and those in the spirit, they differ in their focus, their outcome, and there's a third way in which they differ. We see that in verse 7. Look at verse 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. Why? It doesn't submit to God's law. It cannot. So what? So those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Here's the difference. Although it doesn't mention specifically those who are in the Spirit and how that differs, the implication is, and in context we know, that those who in the Spirit have a behavior that does please God. They differ in not only their focus and outcome, but also in their behavior. Like I said earlier, it's possible to live a, more, a very moral life, but it's a life that operates and, and be in the flesh, but it's a life that operates without God at the very center. If you're living a life in the, fl- in the flesh, The greatest threat to your happiness from your perspective is God. Because the person who lives in the flesh wants to have their own life, their own selves at the very center. God is the fountain of all joy, the sun of all delight. And you can never find delight and joy unless you find it in God. And you'll never find it in God unless your sins are atoned for. And your sins will never be atoned for unless you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. But to such a person, and this may be you this morning, the cross of Christ is repelling. Ugly. Why? Because the the cross is God's way of saying, this is how bad you are. It took the death of the perfect Son of God to pay for your sin. But if you will have the faith to believe it, it is also God's way of saying, this is how loved you are because I did take the death of my son to pay for your sin. And so, sinner, will you believe in Jesus? Have you taken that step of faith and turned to him and said, I want him as my savior. I don't want my sin anymore. Let me urge you to do that. If you have been here week after week and listened to this preaching and you've not trusted in Jesus Christ, you could do that this very morning. And then God promises you will have the life. You will have the Spirit. You will be able to please God. It can be said of you that what the law, although the law could not do, make you righteous by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin God did by condemning Sin in the flesh, he can make it that the righteous requirement of the law could be fulfilled in you who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, 
those who are in the Spirit can please God. By implication there in verse 7. What does this mean for us? This contrast between the mindset of someone who's in the flesh and the mindset of someone who's in the Spirit. If you've never put your trust in Jesus Christ, the implication is incredibly important. Trust in Jesus. Don't know how to do that? Don't know where to start? Talk to somebody. Talk to one of the pastors here. Find me in the lobby right after the service. For those of you who are believers, remember, when, when the Bible says that you're in the Spirit, that is who you are. That is your identity. You are a person who is characterized by the Spirit of God. Let me ask you this question. Are you letting fleshly things shape your mindset? Are you letting the things that are bound by this world inform your values and your priorities? And now, this doesn't mean, having a spiritual mindset doesn't mean that you'll only think about biblical topics. What do Christians think about? Well, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. No, that's not it. It's that you think about every topic from a spiritual perspective. Let me ask you this. How you view your relationships, how you view your parenting. Parents, do you parent your children just to make them good kids, decent kids, good citizens? A person who's thinking according to the Spirit wants so much more than that for their children. that They want to see children that can glorify God because that's the desire that animates their hearts. What about your marriage? Is the purpose of your marriage just to stay together? Is the purpose of your marriage just to avoid getting a divorce? That's not the purpose of marriage. The purpose of marriage is the glory of God. And a Christian who has their mind set on the things of the Spirit is concerned about so much more than just stay together, but that God would glorify Himself through that marriage. That is to set one's mind on the things of the Spirit. What about your use of money? What about your career? It's not an end in itself. It's all for the glory of God. That's what it means to think about the things of the Spirit. It's that your priorities would be informed not just by this temporal existence, bound by time, frailty, fleeting. No, it's to set your mind and priorities on things that will outlast this world. Those are the things of the Spirit. We often lapse into focusing on the things of the flesh. What are you doing to develop your mind to think about the things of the Spirit. Of course, doing it in this life will always require faith. C.S. Lewis wrote a book. It's kind of a book for children, actually. Part of the Chronicles of Narnia, The Silver Chair. And in that novel, he tells a story of two children and their guide named Puddleglum. who were on a journey that took, took them into the deep underground, way, way, way miles below the surface of the earth. And on that journey, they find themselves captured by an evil witch who's trying to convince them that there was no such thing as the Narnia, the land of the overworld. They're down there, and, and they're in this, this room, and, and they find their minds are being dulled by this something that's burning in the fire and the strumming of the evil witch's mandolin, and, and she's even getting them to repeat after her and saying, there is no overworld. There is no Narnia. There was, ever no, there was never any such thing. It's all a dream. And finally, Puddleglum arouses himself, and he breaks the deceptive atmosphere, and he says, you won't make me forget Narnia. 
and the whole overworld too. I know I was there once. I've seen the sky full of stars. I've seen the sun coming up out of the sea of a morning and sinking behind the mountains at night. And I've seen him up in the midday sky when I couldn't look at him for brightness. And with that, Lewis writes, the others all breathed again and looked at one another like people newly wakened. And sometimes we need that to fix our minds on the things of the Spirit. This world of the flesh can lull us into thinking there's nothing more. There's nothing more than to make one's values determined by things that won't last. And the Bible says, no, no, there is more to it than that. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. This insane cycle of sin and death can be stopped. And it is stopped in those who have believed in Jesus Christ and have received the life of God through the Holy Spirit so that now we can set our minds not on the things of the flesh but on the things of the Spirit. And that, my friends, is what we need to do as believers. Don't let your priorities, don't let your values, don't let your goals, your ambitions, your dreams, everything about you be shaped by things that will never last, but by everything that will outlast this world. And most of all, to let your heart be in love with the one who loves you more than you can ever love him in return. That is your Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, We, as your people, need to think more about the things of the Spirit. I pray that our mindset would be shaped and informed and guided by what you want us to do. It would give us joy and focus and purpose in this life. And I pray desperately for anyone who does not believe in Jesus as their Savior, that this morning they would trust in you. And that you would, by your grace and mercy, see fit to bring people who are far from you close through Jesus Christ. And I pray this in his name. Amen.